And uh, it's taken from the book of Romans, uh, chapter 5, verses 20, verse 20 to chapter 6, verse 14. And uh, I'd like to affectionately call this the second half of the saga of the red lizard. And uh, you'll know why I call it that in just a moment. But before I begin my message, please join with me in prayer. Lord, now as we open your word, I pray that you would use it mightily in our lives and encourage us. Lord, it's it's a battle to live in this life. And we need to be encouraged. And this text is so encouraging for us. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would work in each of our hearts and lives and encourage us as we look at the truth of what you have done for us in Christ and the great joy we have of following after you in obedience. To your honor and to your glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I said, um, we're talking about the red lizard. And for those of you who want to be reminded of what a red lizard is, it's an image that C.S. Lewis, uh, the great author, uh, gave to us in his little book called The Great Divorce. And he likens a picture of a red lizard to a sinful area in our lives that kind of has a grip on us. And the red lizard is on our shoulder with his claws stuck into our skin, and he constantly harasses us in life. And we talked about what some of these red lizards might be. Um, Here's a couple others. Um, Worry, unforgiveness, fear, loneliness, Selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, quarreling, workaholism, blaming others, coarse jesting. We can go on and on and on, and we can think of areas of sinfulness that that might grip us. And as believers, um, that makes us uncomfortable. We're not satisfied with living the Christian life, but having having something either weigh us down or tie us up that that, uh, prevents us from walking closely to the Lord. And then there are the biggies, and I'm going to discuss each of these individually over the next six weeks. Pride, anger, greed, envy, gluttony, and lust. And as we do that, I want to suggest that uh, two weeks ago we talked about two unbiblical ways to deal with our red lizard. Two unbiblical ways. And you remember we talked about rules don't work. Because verse 20 of chapter 5 tells us that the law or rules are brought in so that the trespass may increase. Rules actually make it harder for us because they actually produce within us a rebellion, uh, naturally speaking, uh, that just doesn't work. So rules is an unbiblical way to do it. Sometimes we think, well, we got a problem, let's write a rule about it. That doesn't work. The second unbiblical way to do it is also found in verse 20 of chapter 5. It says, where grace um, increased, uh, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. And this is where we had the red lizard look at us and say, you know, don't worry about that. God's got you covered because God's a God of grace. And so we can say, well, you know, I've got this little area of sinfulness in my life, and since I know the Lord is my Savior, I'm okay. Um, Paul tells us in chapter 6, verse 2, 
that's just craziness. <laughs> that's just crazy to think that, okay, I can justify the red lizard because God's got me covered. Um, Paul then goes on to outline and say, um, I, I want to give you a suggestion that's not crazy. And the not crazy suggestion is true and abiding grace. True and abiding grace. And this text in chapter three, beginning with verse, or chapter six, beginning with verse three, outlines for us what true and abiding grace is. First of all, we talk about death. We talk about being united with Jesus in his death. And the Bible says that when, when we are united with Christ, we died. That's the past tense, something happened that changes something. And then after that, we receive a new life. And we receive a life that we have in Christ. And verse 7 then summarizes, anyone who has died with Christ has been set free from our red lizard. Therefore, verses 10 and 11 summarizes, and this is what the text says, the death he died, he died once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. By faith, count yourselves united with Jesus. And as we are united with Jesus, we receive all the gifts of grace that God has provided for us in the cross. We did nothing to deserve it. All we did was receive it. What an incredible truth. What a powerful gospel. What a wonderful Savior. Amen? What a wonderful Savior. However, the reality is the red lizard still lives. He's still there. And he pleads for his life. Here's what C.S. Lewis says the red lizard will say to you. When the angel comes to us and says, do you want me to kill your red lizard? This is what the red lizard said. Be careful. He can do what he says. He will. And he can kill me. One word from you and it's done. Then you'll be without me. It won't be natural. How could you get along? You won't be the man you are now. You'll only be a ghost of a man. You won't be the woman you are now. You'll only be a ghost of a woman. I know I can't deliver on the promises I make, but isn't it better to dream than to have nothing? Such a crafty. I admit I've gone too far a few times, but that won't happen again. <laughs> right. I'll be really nice to you, all sweet and fresh and almost innocent. Whoa. See, that's what the red lizard does. He looks at us and he says, I'll be almost innocent. In verse 12, Paul tells us what to say, or what, what the response of the red lizard is. And he says very clearly, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its evil desires. Don't let it obey. 
don't let it reign in your body that you obey its evil desires because sin is only evil. Always. It only desires evil. Always. Sin will always seek to work its way into control and try to reign in your life, doing everything possible to control us and make our lives miserable and bring us bring shame on the reputation of God. And it's clear, God's word says, don't let it rain. Don't let it go. Now, let me, let me give you a principle of how to interpret the Bible. This isn't this one principle. Every time there is a command... Before the command, there is a statement of truth. So when God gave the Ten Commandments, before he gave the Ten Commandments, do you remember what he said, what God said? I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Statement of truth, God's grace. Then he gave the commands. And that's the same thing in this passage. First comes the statement of truth. And that's what we discussed last week, three weeks ago. (laughs) When we were united with Christ in his death and raised with him to newness of life, we were freed from the power of sin because in our new identity, there is now no condemnation. In our new authority, sin and the enemy are disarmed. And in our new ability, we have a power not to sin. That's the truth. Then comes the command. Therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal body. You see, it would be cruel for a person who was a slave, it would be cruel to go to that person and say, live like a free person. And the slave could say, I can't, I'm a slave. But if a person who used to be a slave and was now set free, but continued to live as a slave the command to live like a free person would be loving because they are free. So live free. We have an amazing gift of grace. We have an amazing new life. By grace, it is our privilege then to live the new life. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Why? Because of who you are in Christ. Because of what Christ has done for you. Because of the truth. The command not to let sin reign in your body is prefaced by the truth of verses 3 through 10. So therefore, I'd like to suggest for you today this to think about. By grace, we live our new life through a lifestyle of repentance. For the next six weeks, seven weeks, this is going to be my constant theme. Um... This is a truth that I've discovered that has taken me 40 years to really get. A lifestyle of repentance given to me by grace. I would suggest to you that this is the number one most by far truth that I've ever discovered in my Christian life. 
And I would suggest to you that this sermon today and the following six, when we unpack this truth, may be the most important message that you'll ever hear. Let's talk about what I mean by a lifestyle of repentance. Repentance is moving in one direction, stopping, turning around, moving in a new direction. That's repentance. And I'm suggesting that that's what God wants us to do in order to not allow sin to reign in our mortal bodies. But why do I say by grace? Well, there's a verse in Titus that really helps with this. The Bible says the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. Grace. And look at what grace does. Training us to renounce ungodliness and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present world. Do you see repentance there? How do we know how to, how can we do that? Grace. Now, look what the Bible says here. Grace trains us. Training is a word we use for raising children. Grace raises us like parents raise children. It doesn't happen all at once. It's a long-term enterprise to raise a child. But as we raise a child, what's the goal of a parent? A goal of a parent is to give a loving, gracious discipline. So number three... Repentance should be our lifestyle. Our lifestyle, the goal of parenting is to mold a life, to instill a lifestyle. Grace as our parent is at work within us to nurture a lifestyle of repentance. So that's the idea. Grace works within us to train us how to live a lifestyle of repentance. Now, How do we do that? Well, that's described for us in verse 13 of chapter 6. And this is the point of this message, and it's the foundation for the next six weeks up until Easter. How do we not let sin reign in our mortal bodies? We don't let, we, 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 we defeat the power of sin in our lives by grace teaching us to live our new life through a lifestyle of repentance. And hear how this principle is is unpacked from verse 13. Number one, Paul clearly says, recognize sinful behavior and turn from it. Verse 13, you see right where it is? He says, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. Instrument refers to our ears, our eyes, our arms, our legs, any human faculty that might be an agent of sinfulness, including our mind and our will, the command, do not offer this, is a present tense command. In other words, do not go on offering this. Don't give your hands Don't give your arms, don't give your eyes, don't give your ears to anything that is sinful. Do not go on sinning. Turn from it. That's repentance. Turn from it. Now, we hear this command. We might think God is saying, just stop it. Ever heard someone say that? 
you're discouraged. Someone just, well, just stop being discouraged. You know, you're, you're worrying. Well, just stop worrying. Just stop it. You're upset or angry or anxious or lonely. Well, just stop it. <laughs> of course, God would never treat us that way. We all know what it's like to get a song in our head that we just can't get out of our head. Ever been to Disney World? It's a cruel world after all. It's a small world. That song goes in and mind. Oh, I can't get it out. How do you get that out of your mind? You got to do something different. And that leads us to point number two from verse 13. Offer yourself to God. You see, I think that I could preach an entire series of sermons on this. In fact, I'm going to. (laughs) Because the next six weeks, I'm going to suggest that the key to defeating the bondage of, of the red lizard in our life is to offer ourselves to God. Offer yourselves to God. We realize we're going in the wrong direction, doing something God doesn't want us to do, and we turn, and then we offer ourselves to God. This has to be prayer. This has to be receiving the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives as a result of prayer. I know of no other way to offer myself to God than to say, Lord, I realize I'm in a bad place right now. I'm in a bad pattern right now. And quite frankly, in my own strength, I can't do anything about this. And I know I need to stop and turn. And so I'm offering myself to you. Now notice the next phrase. I offer myself to God as those brought from death to life. And what does that mean? Well, remember verses 3 to to 11? Remember, we've been united with Christ in his death, right? And we've been raised with him to newness of life. So we offer ourselves to God knowing that we've received his grace. That's how we offer ourselves to God. We've been converted. And we offer that life to God. And then, grace takes over. Now look at Romans 8.13. It says, If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the flesh, you will live. How do you put to death the red lizard? How do you kill that red lizard? Well, you can't kill it yourself. You can't do it. You offer yourself to God. And God, by his grace, kills the red lizard. If we live by the power of the Spirit, he comes into our lives and he begins to train us, as Titus 2 says. He begins to teach us. And here's what happens to the red lizard as C.S. Lewis narrates it. Listen to how he says. This is the story. So remember, the angel has appeared to the guy with the red lizard, and he said, would you like me to kill your red lizard? 
And after the guy grapples with everything, he says, yes. He offered himself to God. Here's how C.S. Lewis narrates what happened. The next moment, the man gave a scream of agony such as I have never heard. The burning one closed his crimson grip on the reptile, twisted it while it bit and writhed, and flung it to the ground, broken-backed. At first, I thought the operation had failed. So far from dying, the creature was still struggling and even began to grow bigger and bigger as it struggled. But as it grew, it changed. I started startled, rubbing my eyes. What stood before me was the greatest stallion I had ever seen. Silvery, white, but with mane and tail of gold. The man, now free from his torment, climbed upon the stallion that had been his sin and rode into the glowing sunrise toward the heaven. See, that's grace at work within us because God takes our very weakness and he transforms our weakness into an opportunity to make much of him. And we're going to learn over the next six weeks that pride can be transformed into humility. Once we let God kill pride in our lives, he resurrects humility from the ashes. Anger can be transformed into love. Once God kills anger, love will rise from its ashes. Greed can be transformed into uh, being rich towards God, raised from the ashes. Envy can be transformed into contentment. Gluttony can be replaced with spiritual discipline. Lust can be transformed into a hunger and thirst for God. When we present ourselves to God by the power of the Holy Spirit, he kills the sin and then he raises up from its ashes a new life, empowered by him, that glorifies him. And that leads us to step number three, found in verse 13. Offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. See where it says in the text? Present the parts of your body to God as instruments of righteousness. We realize that our sinfulness turned away from it. We offered ourselves to God. But now there's a responsibility for us. Do you remember the story in the Gospels where uh, Jesus told a story of a person who was delivered from a, from a demon and the demon was exercised out of the person and his house was slept clean? Remember this? And then the demon came back and found the house empty. And so the demon came back, brought several demons with it worse than he And now, he's worse off than he was before. You see, unless we begin moving in the other direction, 
we're not going to be delivered. But if by God's grace and in God's power, we now present ourselves to God as instruments of righteousness, every part of us, as we serve him and enter into the life of works that God has prepared in advance for us to do, Ephesians 2.10, then we will begin to live a lifestyle of repentance. But just as a child takes many years to be grown, it sometimes takes time for us to fully enter into a life of repentance. Think of this illustration. As I walk, realize I'm sinning, I can stop and turn and begin and present myself to God and begin walking in a new direction. But what if I was riding a bicycle, going 30 miles an hour down a hill? It'd take me longer to stop, wouldn't it? And the longer it would take me to stop, then I'd have to take my bike and I'd have to somehow turn it around and go through all that hassle, and then I'd have to start pedaling again up the hill, and it would take me a while to get my momentum going. See, the process takes a little bit longer, doesn't it? What if I was the captain of a huge ocean-going cargo ship, and I was going 50 knots in the ocean, and I realized I was going the wrong direction? How long would it take to stop that ocean-going liner and turn it around and go the other direction. I'd probably have to go off course for a while, wouldn't I? It'd probably take two, three, five, ten miles before I could get that thing turned around. And then to go in the new direction, it'd probably take, you know, two, three hours to get back up. You see, it doesn't always happen overnight. But the important thing is, is that you understand the process. Do not offer the members of your body as instruments of righteousness. Present yourself to God as those who have been raised from death to life. Offer yourselves to God as instruments of righteousness. That's how you kill your red lizard. This is a lifestyle, brothers and sisters. We do this every day. Maybe seven times every day. Um, I'll, I'll probably share with you some of the things that have happened in my own life and my own journey. But I, I find myself going, oh, Lord, I'm doing it again. <laughs> and I have to do it. I've done it three or four times this morning. I think... I'm doing it again. But a lifestyle of repentance is something that I can do many times a day. Well, how can I know that God is not going to say, Scott, you're such a loser. When are you going to learn? Look what the verse 14 says. You are not under law, right? But under what? Grace. Now, what does law say? Law says, when you mess up, what? You're a loser. You are condemned. That's what law says. Paul says, now wait a minute. Look at verses 3 to 11. What is the gift that God gave you? God gave you, you're united with Christ in his death. You're raised with him to newness of life. 
Consider yourself united with Christ. That's the truth. You are under grace. And so when I catch myself falling into my trap of what my red lizard has been for so many years, I think, God, you're probably really disappointed in me. You probably think I'm really. And God says, no, you are under grace. And I want you to live under grace, the freedom of under grace, knowing that, that the grace of God has got you covered. Not so that I can keep my red lizard, but so that I can live a lifestyle of repentance. And what a huge difference that makes. So in conclusion, I'd like to suggest that as we live a lifestyle of repentance, we seriously can be free from our red lizard. Now, I'm not trying to suggest always that that God heals. I think God does heal. But I think spiritually we can be free from condemnation, free from the burden of the law, uh, free from feeling like, like God doesn't love us. We can be free from guilt. We can be free from shame. And here's what God says, and I quote C.S. Lewis, as he concludes the story of the red lizard. This is what he says to us. Come up. Share my rest and splendor till all natures that were your enemies become slaves to dance before you and backs for you to ride and firmness for your feet to rest on. From beyond all place and time, Out of the very place, authority will be given you. The strength that once opposed your will shall be obedient fire in your blood and heavenly thunder in your voice. That's the promise that comes in a lifestyle of repentance, clothed in God's grace. Brothers and sisters, live in God's grace and live a lifestyle of repentance. Father in heaven, I don't know where each of us is today. Maybe this is the first time people have heard this. Uh, I've been grappling with it for decades until I've, I've realized that repentance is a good thing. It honors you. You take great joy when I repent and it's not a negative thing it's an empowering thing it frees me and it celebrates your holiness it lifts up the cross and it clothes me in your grace God over these next weeks help us to really know what it means to present ourselves to you May you be at work within us to will and to do according to your good pleasure, knowing that you who began a good work in us will indeed complete it because you are good, you are sovereign, and you are just. In Jesus' name, amen.